Hey, we're going to be in Matthew 6 today if you want to find your way that direction. When you're going on a trip, you pack a bag, typically if you're going to be overnight or longer. And so, um, just in your experience, what is the worst thing to forget to pack? Anybody? This is where you can talk. Toothbrush, that's bad. What else? Deodorant, yeah. Uh, Your medication, underwear. Your phone charger. What about your phone charger? That's bad, yeah. Your spouse. (laughs) Our next series will be on marriage. Uh, That's coming up. Yeah, we might need it. Okay, so we've been talking about heaven. And the last three weeks we've talked about, you know, um, will it be boring and how do you go there and that sort of thing. And today we're going to talk about what do you pack, what can you take, is there a way to invest in heaven? Because there's a common saying that you can't take it with you. And in some regards that's true. I mean, there's, you can't take stuff with you. But the scripture is very explicit about, hey, there are things you can take to heaven with you. And so Jesus talks about this. And really, um, all of Christianity boils down to, at, time, at one t- or time or another in your life, if Jesus said it, am I going to believe it? And so Jesus says you can store up, and we're going to look at the verse, you can store up things in heaven. And so if Jesus says that, then he's going to help us, or we're going to see today, how, to, how do we do that exactly? But let's review real quickly, because I want to make sure we are all kind of on the same page together, okay? So... If you'll remember, a few weeks ago we talked about what happens to a person who follows Jesus when they die. What happens to a a believer when they die? First thing is their immortal uh, spirit, their immortal soul, leaves their mortal bodies and goes immediately to be with Jesus. It's in a place called paradise. And eventually Jesus will come again and we get resurrected bodies. And I don't know exactly what a resurrected body will look like, but I do know when Jesus was resurrected, his body still had scars on his hands and his feet so people could identify him. Folks knew who he was. And so sometimes I get the question, when we know our you know, friends in heaven, our parents in heaven, that kind of thing, and I believe you're going to know because they knew Jesus and his resurrected body. Uh, then there's judgment, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today because it really spooks people when we talk about judgment. So we're going to talk about it. And then uh, if you're a follower of Christ, you get a perfect existence eternally uh, in heaven with, uh, with Jesus and God. And if not, it's eternal separation from God. And, and so there's this kind of question around judgment, all right? So, uh, 2 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Paul was a guy who didn't believe in Jesus, and then he encountered Jesus, and then he believed in Jesus. So he has this amazing transformation. In fact, not only does he not believe in Jesus, he's against Jesus. He's like against Christianity, and he encounters Christ, and all of a sudden he becomes a Christian, and he plants churches, and he writes those churches once he leaves. And one church he planted was in a town called Corinth, and he writes a couple of letters to them. And he said, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now, we've watched television shows like Judge Judy and Judge Mathis. There are others, right? Judge Joe, there ought to be, you know, Judge Tony, I don't know. Uh, I've watched Judge um, Judy a couple times. She's really kind of mean, 
I don't know that I want to be in front of Judge Judy. I'm going to try to avoid that if at all possible. And so we transpose um, our thoughts. All right, Judge Judy is, uh, is kind of mean, so maybe uh, Judge Jesus is going to be mean. And I'm not sure that's real accurate. So let's clarify who gets judged and what kind of judgment there is. If I don't believe in Jesus, I'm judged for my sins. And that will be very negative. If I'm a follower of Jesus, then I get judged for my works. I just finished a great book, my friend Daniel suggested, um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's by a guy named Nabish uh, Karachi, I think. Uh, it's super good, and you should read that. It's really good. It's a young man who was born in Islam, into Islam, and super brilliant, smart guy, a medical doctor, just really brilliant. And he seeks the truth about who God is. And he comes to faith in Christ. Now, in this book I discovered, and I don't know that I knew this before, but Islam teaches that uh, when you die, there's basically a, a ledger of your activity on earth. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you get into heaven. And if they don't, you don't. And so... Then how they interpret what good deeds are, you know, some there's a, a peaceful um, sort of element of Islam who say that that's good works, and then there's a not so peaceful element of Islam, and they say it's uh, you know jihad, and and jihad for them is uh, killing the infidel, and that to them is good works. It depends on how you define good, I guess. And so the guys who flew the planes into the towers a few years ago, they thought they were doing something good in their mind that was going to get them into heaven. But it's a, that's a matter of scale. You know, if I do enough good stuff, not good stuff, then I get into heaven. All right, so Christianity teaches not that. Um, we believe that we're saved through faith in Jesus, that faith in Christ alone is what saves us. It's not because of good works. And so any works we do are judged based on, okay, now I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to do good works to please Christ. And Jesus basically says, store for yourselves um, treasure in heaven, and you do that by doing good things. Now, judgment. Let's talk about judgment just for a second. I don't believe that God is going to judge us harshly because he is a loving heavenly father. And we see it in pictures like the, the picture that Jesus painted of the prodigal son and the father who was looking for his son. And it's a loving father wanting his kid to come home. And in, when, when I see uh, language like that, I think that our heavenly father is a lot like we are as parents. I'm going to show you a picture and you're going to know what this is. This is artwork done by a, a child and you as a parent, if you're a parent or a grandparent, your kids will do stuff like this. And when they come to you, do you say, this stinks? You, you never say that, do you? I mean, unless you're a psycho. Uh, you'll say, oh, wow, look at the color. Um, is that a rainbow? What is that supposed to be? I mean, we'll ask questions like that. That's a, that's a dog? I thought it was an elephant. Uh, so we, we say stuff like that. But you judge the art based on two things. You judge the art based on the ability of the artist. I don't judge art like this in comparison to you know, Renoir or Michelangelo. It, I judge art like this based on the ability of the artist. 
And if I'm a parent or a grandparent who looks at this, I judge this artwork based on and looking through eyes of love. I love the artist, and therefore I love the art. So, if God looks at our works the way a father would look at artwork like this, then I think we have a chance. Like some of the stuff we do is going to be, maybe all the stuff we do is going to be acceptable. Because my child can draw art like this and I'll put it on the, on the refrigerator and I will say to myself, um, this is worthy of display because I love the artist. Now, we know that God loves us because he sent his son to die for us. And if there was ever a question in your mind, I wonder if God loves me, well, you can put that question aside because Jesus came and he died for us. If you ever have a question about Jesus loving you, same thing. He died for us. And he said, I can now am able to call you friends. He's our friend. He came to die for us. Jesus gave him, it gave his life for us. And so... He's going to look at us through eyes of love. So, Jesus functions in different ways, and one time he functions as a sort of a financial advisor. Let me show you what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We're going to, we're going to unpack it in a second. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and your translation might say moth and rust. It, it, it's all kind of the same thing. And where thieves break in and steal but store rather up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The translation I would give you is this. Use your life to create refrigerator art. Use your life, this life that God gave you, this life that God has saved, use it to create things investing in your ultimate future. And, and Jesus says, okay, you've got two options. You can invest in earthly things. Look at what he says, do not store up for yourselves. It's a negative command. Don't do this, but you can. It's possible. You shouldn't, but you can, people do. I read a super interesting story. I think this thing, it, it, it kind of caught my attention because the name of the woman is Mrs. Bertha Adams. That was my grandmother's name, Mrs. Bertha Adams. My mom will be watching next Sunday. Mana, I can't believe that. Can you? It's like Miss Bertha Adams. It's crazy. Okay, so uh, she passed away in 1976. She was 71 years old. She died uh, of malnutrition. I think it was in Los Angeles. Oh, no, West Palm Beach, Florida. She dies of malnutrition. The coroner goes in. She weighs about 50 pounds. Um, her neighbors say that uh, she begged for food. Uh, her clothes either came from uh, Salvation Army or they came out of the dumpsters. She lived in squalor. The house was full of junk and dirt and mess. They go in and they start to clean up after her. She has, she's a widow. She has, no, uh, she has no children. She has no family. So now the county has to take over her estate and kind of clean up things. And they clean up the house. And, and the guys that go in said it was the worst they'd ever seen. It was just They'd never seen anything like it. 
But in the process of cleaning out her possessions, they find two safety deposit keys. One to a safety deposit box at one bank and another to another bank. And they go and investigate what are, what are in these safety deposit boxes. Because you would think that, uh, you know, a bag lady's not going to have much to put away in the bank. They go to the first safety deposit box at the first bank and they open it up. There were 700 AT&T stock certificates, um, plus hundreds of other valuable notes, bonds, and uh, securities, not to mention $200,000 in cash. They go to the second safety deposit box, no bonds or uh, securities, but $600,000 in cash. She literally was a millionaire and starved herself to death. And it is this sort of extreme parable of somebody who uh, wrongheadedly stores up things on earth. And, and that's one, I mean, really, it's just a shocking example. But there are people who have lots of money and they don't share. I'm not sure that's not worse. I read a book called Four a few years ago, and one of the stories in there is about Steve Jobs, who you know, he created Apple and Pixar and just brilliant Worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He had a daughter named Lisa, and he denied that she was his, and they go to court, and uh, through DNA testing, they eventually discover that um, Lisa is his daughter, and he is required by law to pay $500 a month in alimony. $500 a month from a guy who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he paid the bare minimum. And which is worse, somebody who starves themselves to death, who has resources but just won't use them, or someone who has resources and he just wants to use them on himself? See, we live in a consumer society that basically says, it's all, you make it so you spend it on you. It's all about you. And yet the word treasures here is the Greek word thesaurus. Do you all know what that word is? Thesaurus. It's a treasury of words. It is words. It is stuff. And here's what Jesus is saying about stuff. I should go back. Sorry. Here's what Jesus is saying about stuff. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. So if you just invest in this life, it can be here today and gone tomorrow. And the truth of the matter is, every mega wealthy person who has ever lived or ever will live will eventually leave it all. They really won't take it with them. I have two sons-in-law in my life. One of them is named Jefferson. He's tall. He's lanky. He is a food vacuum. Uh, I don't know what his metabolism is, but it sure is not like mine. That kid can eat everything. We never have leftovers when Jeff visits because he eats everything. In fact, he snacks before he eats, and then he snacks after he eats. I have never. It is unbelievable. Now, Jefferson is a, a super smart kid. He... Um, uh, he's an architect or something. I don't know what he does. Uh, um, uh, they never ask for money, so he must make money. That's great. That's all I care about, you know, as a, as a father-in-law. Um, but he has a side hustle. Uh, Jeff likes to play Frisbee disc golf. You all know what that is? Disc golf. And so he buys discs in volume, and then he resells them. He has a little, a little store, a little online store. And so do you know these things are worth lots of money, these discs? <laughs> Not to me. Uh, but there's a market for that. And so he has a little, I think probably a Facebook Marketplace store. And the other day he tried to get into his store and somebody had hacked him. 
And Jeff tries to get into the store, and he gets a message from the hacker, and the hacker says, for $300, um, for $300 you can have your store back. So the guy, the guy holds Jeff's little store ransom. For $300 you can get back into your store. And Jeff's like, I'll just start another store. <laughs> and it's like, okay, for $120, the guy's a bad negotiator. You know? It's like he didn't read Trump's book, evidently. Uh, the Art of the Deal, I don't know what that is. So uh, th- then he gets down to 50 you know. And, and Jeff eventually gets back into his account. He, ne- he didn't pay. He kind of got back in through a back door. But the point is this. Jeff went to bed one day, and he had a little store, and the next day he doesn't. And it is a picture of life. You can have it one day and not have it the next day. You can be healthy one day and have an accident and be not healthy the next day. It's just the way life is. And so Jesus is giving this brilliant advice. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin and rust destroy. It it is a bad investment. Now, he's not saying you can't have possessions. We don't have to take a vow of poverty. And he's not saying that you can't plan for the future. In fact, the Bible often says you need to make sure you have enough for the future. So it's not talking about that. And he's not even talking about enjoying possessions that you currently have. I love this verse. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives us things so that we can enjoy them. But there are two kinds of futures that we have to be aware of. There is the future on earth, and then there is the prolonged future in heaven, and Jesus is saying you can store up, you can pack some things for your prolonged future in heaven. And that's option number two, heavenly investments. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And so the question is, all right, so Jesus says we should store up treasure in heaven. How do we do it? Well, there's a guy, he's a theologian, uh, works in a, a seminary, and he says this. His name is Daniel Doriani. We store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes and God's people. The effect of such investments lasts forever. We invest in God's causes and God's people. Now, where does it start? You have to have the right heart. It all starts with your heart. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Jesus basically is teaching in Matthew 6 that you're going to store up treasure someplace. You're either going to store it up in heaven or you're going to store it up here. You have, God gives us the dignity of doing one or the other. Okay, we get to choose. Now, again, I think you should plan for this, this future, but you certainly need to plan for a prolonged future. You may know who John Wesley is. John Wesley was a, a great preacher of the 1800s. Uh, he, um, he would ride from church to church on his horse. The Wesleyans, the Methodists, all kind of come from John Wesley's heritage. He, he was very um, rigid in, in how he lived life. He had like rules to live by, that kind of thing. And one day, I believe he was in Louisiana, I don't know exactly the location, but a guy had a plantation and it was showing him around his plantation. And they got on horseback and, and they were riding around this plantation and all the fields this guy had. And he had cotton and he had you know, corn and then he had tobacco and he had 
all this stuff, and they ride and ride and ride all day, and they come back to the house, and they've only seen a, a small portion of this guy's property. And the plantation owner says to John Wesley, uh, well, Mr. Wesley, what do you think? And I love Wesley's quote. He says, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving this behind. <laughs> that is a great quote. I think you're going to have a hard time leaving this behind. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let's say we decide here at church that we are going to put down new carpet. We are, by the way. It's coming in November, evidently. But let's say we're going to do, let's, we're going to do something else. Uh, I'm going to make an executive decision, and we're going to put new carpet in. Carpet I like. Not what Robin likes, what I like. So, I think white shag uh, is the way to go. Because it's groovy. Uh, so, uh, so uh, we, we order some white shag carpet, and we put it throughout this room. White shag, because everybody likes that. Now, we're going to have some rules. You can't come in here. No, I mean, what you, you would say, okay, you got to take shoes off, right? I mean, if, if you invest tens of thousands of dollars in something, well, now all of a sudden you care about it. I'd, I'd care how it looked, you know? I, I, I would be noticing. If you came in with coffee without a lid, I would be, no, 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 no. I mean, we would start really managing things. Because where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. And you put a lot of money into something, now all of a sudden... Your heart's there. It's interesting. If you've ever like, said to yourself, I wish I was more invested in, in ministry. Well, <laughs> all right, invest in ministry. Uh, if, if you want your heart to be there, you have to put some skin in the game. We, we go on mission trips, and people will sometimes say to me, and I think it's a great question. Uh, two years ago, we went to Salt Lake City. We put a roof on a building. They have roofers in Salt Lake City. We didn't even have to go to Salt Lake City. We could have paid somebody to do it. Why do we go? Because when we're invested there, our heart is there. We go because it builds camaraderie within the group that we take. But also, also, we get to know those people. We get to invest in those people. They get to know us. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, that's where your heart is. My father was one of the most generous people I have ever been around in my life. Not because we had money. We, we were far from wealthy. My dad was a truck driver and my mother was a teller in a bank. Those are not um, occupations where you uh, gather huge uh, sums of money. We were comfortable. We were probably lower middle class if you were to categorize us. Maybe middle middle class. I don't know. My dad would help anybody. I, I, I learned generosity at the knee of my father because I watched him do it. If you needed it, he would either give it to you or loan it to you. Sometimes he would do it for you. My dad could talk to a tree. I mean, he could have a great conversation with anybody. I have never seen anything like it. Mom and dad would go to the mall, and, and daddy didn't want to go walking around, so he would sit on one of those benches at the mall, and you'd come back, and Daddy would have, be having conversations. They, he'd know their life story. Oh, she just had cancer. He was like, he knew everything. 
One time mama came back, she told me this week, she came back and daddy was there and he said, this woman right here has car trouble, I'm going to go fix her car for her. I just wanted to wait till you came back so you knew where I was. That's like pre-cell phone. That, that's who he was. He was generous in good deeds. Now, he also planned for this life. He wasn't so heavenly minded that he wasn't any earthly good. He thought about heaven. He did things because he was a Christian. But he also did things because they needed to be done around now. My dad decided that our house back home in Kentucky needed a generator. I don't exactly know why he got that notion, but he thought we needed a generator. So he bought a generator, had it wired into the house. Um, I don't ever remember the electricity going off at our house the whole time we lived there. So I, I don't know, what got in, uh, you know why he thought that was a good idea. But he thought it was a good idea. He never used it one time. However, eight years after he died, we have this massive ice storming in Danville, Kentucky. Power lines are down every place. My mother's house is without electricity. He provided for my family, for, for mom and, and my sisters, he provided for them eight years after he was dead. See, that's called planning ahead. That's called thinking in advance, playing the movie forward. I don't know what reason he would give me for, hey, I, I thought we needed to have a generator. I never asked him. It never really made any sense. Now, here in South Carolina, we need a generator. So next time I go home, I'm going to take it and I'm going to tell mom. Because uh, she doesn't need that. Oh, that's on tape. Uh... Edit, edit, edit. Uh, we got to edit that out. God wants our hearts. He's looking for our hearts. He wants us to have the right disposition. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You probably heard this old story about the farmer. He's excited. He comes into the kitchen and he says to his wife, Oh, our prize heifer Bessie just had twin calves. One brown, one white. And I feel compelled by the Lord to give one of these calves to the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise them together, and when we take them to market, we're going to sell them, and one of them we're going to sell, and we're going to keep the proceeds, and one of them we're going to sell, and we're going to give it to the Lord. And his wife said, okay, well, which calf is the Lord's, the brown one or the white one? And he said, it doesn't matter. We're going to raise them together. And then when they're marketable, we're going to sell one and give the proceeds to the, to the Lord, and we're going to give the other one the proceeds to us. A couple months later, he comes in. He's very sad. He says to his wife, the Lord's cow died. That, that's kind of... We, we kinda, we're kind of for the Lord when it's convenient. And, and so, what does it look like? If God has our heart, if a starting point is he's got to have your hearts, okay, so you give him your heart. What does it look like after that? I'm really glad you asked. Because our boy Paul, who wrote that letter to the church in Corinth, also, he was a mentor to some young pastors. One of them was named Timothy, and he writes Timothy a letter. And he says, command those who are rich in this present world, and you might say, time out, time out, time out, I'm not rich. Rich in this present world. If you are an American, it's likely that you have much more than the vast, vast majority of people in the, on the planet. 
So let's just assume rich doesn't mean like uber wealthy. It just means you got more than most people in the pl on the planet. Okay, let's go with that. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the eternal future, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Jesus said, hey, store up yourself treasures in heaven. Paul says, hey, this is how you do it. So how do you do it? Well, you start with your heart, then you divest all arrogance. It's funny. Riches and pride kind of go together sort of twin, uh, twin rails of a, of, a, of a locomotive. Riches and pride often go together. It's like we get a superiority complex. Because we have a certain amount, and you see it, it's kind of most obvious with celebrities. They sort of look down on people and that kind of thing. But it's not just celebrities. I mean, if you were just real honest with yourself, there might be people that you think you're better than. And that's why he's commanding. By the way, the word command doesn't mean this is a suggestion. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. Not to convey that I'm better, I have more because I'm smarter, I work harder. If you're smarter, and if you work harder, and if you have an ability to do things, and if you uh, have skill and talent, every one of those things are gifts from God. He could have given it to anybody, but he just so happened to give it to you. So if you are healthy, and if you have made a, a living, and if you are uh, smart in certain areas, it is because God has given you those, those gifts. We shouldn't be arrogant about it. We, we, we're going to divest. That means get rid of all arrogance. Secondly, we're going to reallocate our hope in God. Those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God, not in stuff. Because here's the truth. Every mega wealthy person, I said it before, every mega wealthy, uh, uh, wealthy person who's ever lived or ever uh, will live has eventually left everything. As the great theologians John, Paul, Ringo, and George once sang, you can't buy me love. And you also can't buy eternity. Look at what it says in Proverbs. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. There's a problem with having too much and depending too much on stuff. There's no proverb about this. When you have a lot, you have a tendency to trust in what you have. When you have a little, you have a tendency to trust in God. Now, it's okay to have enough. It's okay to save. I'm going to retire someday. I'm putting money away for that. I think it's wise to make preparations for, for the future, this future. But Jesus would say it is much, much, much more important to make preparations for an eternal future. And so he talks about it. Um, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. I love that verse. He provides us with everything for my enjoyment, for our enjoyment. So I'm going to challenge you today. One of, the, one of the ways we get our hearts right is to be more thankful. So I want you to just try this exercise just for today, just for the rest of this day. 
be uh, uber conscious of every good thing that happens around you. Like, you go to your car and it starts. Look, that, that doesn't have to happen. I mean, I know it happens almost all the time. Uh, you know, 999 times out of 1,000. It almost always starts. But today when it starts, I want you to be thankful. Lord, thank you that this car starts. Uh, if it has a, uh, a new car smell, thank God for the new car smell. If it doesn't, thank God you don't have payments uh, for a new car smell. You know, there, you can find the right way to look at it, right? And you get in your car, and you get on Wade Hampton, and if you get on Wade Hampton and don't have a wreck, you thank God. Because <laughs> that is crazy. Uh, that's a crazy place to drive. So it's like, okay, okay. And, and you go to some place and you eat. I want you to thank God for everything on your plate. You thank God. Thank you, Lord, for the fish. Thank you, Lord, for the chips. Thank you for the cracklings. Thank you, Lord, for the tartar sauce, the ketchup, for the fork. <laughs> thank you that my digestive system works. Thank you that I'm breathing. I mean, you could think there's so many things to be thankful for. We just got to blow by all that stuff. I'm the dad of four daughters. I love them. Uh, they, they're just great. I made fun of Elise last week, and I said, you know, look, she, she, she paid me the highest, she's not in here, I don't think, she paid me the highest compliment last week, because there are a couple of girls, and they just started, um, they're going to play basketball, and they were in her Sunday school class, and so she said, Daddy, we need to go, we need to go watch them play basketball. Um, I didn't want to see my kids play basketball at that age, much less somebody else, but it's okay. I thought, that's super sweet. And somebody was saying, it was in the hall, somebody said, well, you could drive, why don't you just go by yourself? And Elise said to me, it's better when he goes. That's gold. Talking about me, it's better when he goes. Like, woo I love those girls. I'm not sure there are four sweeter words in the English language, then when my kids say to me, oh, Daddy, thank you. And I can't imagine that God puts that in my heart that He doesn't have it in His heart. And how many times do we th take things for granted? So maybe today would be a good day to say to our Heavenly Father, oh, Daddy, thank you. Thank you, for this food and thank you for this car and thank you that it starts and thank you that I'm safe and thank you that I'm healthy and thank you for all these things that you've given me. Thank you for this place I live. Thank you for a lawnmower that mowed that grass. Maybe we just need to be more thankful. And he says, Invest in others. Command these people, us, those who follow Christ, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, to do thing, good deeds that make sense, that, are, that aren't just superficial. We lived in Artesia, New Mexico for one year. Artesia, New Mexico is in southeast part of the state. It's a beautiful place. They have lots of oil, and therefore they have lots of money. Tons of money. It's a cool place to live. It's pretty flat, 
They have oil rigs all over the place, and they burn off the excess gas a lot of times. And so at night, you could kind of look out over these, this plain, and you'd see these little torches everywhere. And all those torches were where there were uh, rigs pulling up oil. We had a refinery in our town, lots of money. And they, didn't, they had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. So they would have statuary, like in the center of intersections. Like they would make roundabouts, and they'd put a big statue there. Now, I'm all for statues, but it's Artesia, New Mexico. It's not like anybody's going to come and look at that. And I asked somebody one time, why do they have so many statues? Like, well, we got money for that. I'm not talking about that kind of good deeds. When he says do good deeds, he's talking about do things that benefit the kingdom. I want to share with you a verse. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it will revolutionize your life. Revolution, uh, Revelation, Revolution uh, 14, 13. Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. So this is God speaking. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. You can't take possessions with you. You leave possessions here. But you can take good deeds done for the Lord there. We do good things. We store up in heaven. Now, not every opportunity is your opportunity. Pretty soon there will be bell ringers in front of stores. Uh, God bless them. They're ringing a bell. They have a kettle. They're, the idea is you should put something, drop something in the kettle. I don't always feel compelled to give to the kettle. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. If I don't give to the kettle, I just don't feel bad about it because I give other places. We gave $15,000 as a church to a church in Fleming, Kentucky because they were flooded. Thank you for that. We're collecting coats for our friends in Kentucky because a lot of them, um, they, they, they were lost in the flood and, and it's going to get cold pretty soon. See, those are good deeds. Those are things. But here's what I want you to always hear me say. If you feel compelled, you should do that. But only if you feel God, uh, God's prompting. You don't have to give to everything. I don't give to everything. I give to many things I want to give to. I mean, I, I, I've told you before, um, Miriam and I, we, we, a long time ago in our marriage, decided we were going to give 10% to the church, and then we, uh, we put 5% away. Uh, at, we call it our missions fund, extra we give our 10% to the church, and we have our 5%. And then when things come up that we want to give to, it, we don't have to struggle to figure out where it's going to come from. We, we have a, like a little, a little pool of resources that we can give. See, the, the Bible tells us, he said, be generous. Be generous. Do you realize your wealth is a test? It's a test. God gives it to you to see what you'll do with it. So there's a story in the Old Testament. David is the king of Israel. He believes that God wants him to build a temple to the Lord. So God has a, he has a dream. God says, no, you can't build the temple, but you can collect the, the resources to build the temple. You can't build it. Your son's going to build it. But you, get, you gather up the... Um, you, you take the offering. And so David was... 
He, he did that. He was incredibly generous. And he makes a plea. He gives a pitch to the people. Hey, 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 I need you all to give to the Lord. As he, as he prompts you. Just give as he prompts you. <laughs> and they start to give. And they give and give and give. And eventually they come to David and say, you, gotta, you make them stop. They've given too much. And this David prays. He says, Lord, our God, all this abundance that you have provided for building you a temple for the holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and are pleased with integrity. And we're to share. Be willing to share the Greek word is, is a derivative of a word called koinonia. You may have heard that before. Koinonia means fellowship. To share means to not just give and not think about it anymore. It means to invest, not to be dispassionate or disinterested, but to give with interest, with an interest in the giving. Now, one last caution and we'll be done. Jesus said, be careful not to pr practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you get to the needy, don't make an announcement. Don't blow trumpets like the hypocrites do to be honored by others. Therefore, I tell you, they will receive their reward or they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. In financial industry, it's called double dipping. You want credit here and there. And what Jesus is saying, don't do it that way. When you give, do it in secret. Nobody needs to know. Football season, if you play for the Ohio State Buckeyes and you make a good play, you get a sticker. Like you're in kindergarten. Uh, you get a sticker on your little helmet. Ooh. You don't even have to win the game to get a sticker. There are some rewards that are just sort of <laughs> sad. Uh, you think about it. Now, guys with stickers, that's cool. I'm not against stickers, by the way. I think that's cool. I'd like a sticker after the sermon if, if you think it was good. Uh, uh, I'll put it on my Bible. It'd be great. I'll, I'll walk around with stickers on my Bible. Uh, it's nothing wrong with stickers. But it's, it, it's, it's fleeting, right? It's fleeting. It just doesn't last. This is the ossuary of King Tut. He died at 17 years old. When they found his crypt in 1922, they found him mummified. Uh, there were gold items everywhere. The Egyptians taught that you could take it with you. That you could take all this gold and all of these things... And yet, for 4,000 years, they lay there until they were found by a guy named Carter, Howard Carter. And they were still there. So in that case, you can't take it with you. Can't take that with you. One of my favorite movies ever was Gladiator. Gladiator, General Maximus. And there's this scene, and he is preparing his army to battle their Germania, Germania, the Germans. And he yells to his soldiers, to his charges, and he says, 
what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Basically what Jesus said. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's possible. One last quote. This guy named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Aka Indians, South America. He and several of his friends decided they wanted to go to the Aka Indians, who had never experienced white people, had never experienced anybody but their, their village. They were, um, they were brutal. And they tried to make inroads, and they went to them, and Jim and three of his friends were, were murdered. And in his diary, after he died, there was this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Eventually, Jim's wife and the wives of some of the other uh, men who died uh, went to that village, led them to Christ. This isn't all there is. There's eternity coming. Jesus is so gracious, He lets us pack a few things to take with us when we go. Father, thank You for Your Word, this instruction. I pray that it will penetrate our hearts and it will change our lives. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.